So on and off, I've seen this person suffer, and, and it causes you suffering as well. And it really has led me to just a, on a personal journey of what does the Bible say about suffering? About a year ago, we, we talked a little bit about suffering. Um, but I, I want to ask you this question. How should I, or how should you, how should we react when we suffer? What do we do with suffering? How do you deal with suffering? Because it's just a very real thing in life. You cannot deny that a Christian will suffer. Anybody that goes out there and says, oh, Christians, they, you know, they're not going to suffer. That's baloney. <laughs> First of all, that goes contrary to what the Bible says, and it certainly goes contrary to our personal experience. And so if that's the case, what does the Bible say about suffering, and how should we deal with suffering? Now, I'm going to tell you, first of all, this is a two-part message. We'll talk more about this uh, next Sunday, and we'll start this Sunday. But even this Sunday's message is broken into two parts. So you're going to have to listen to it all the way through. You're going to think I'm going in one direction, and then boom, I'm going to go in another direction. So just kind of listen to it all the way through. And it's all based on a powerful sermon my dad preached last Sunday night. Powerful. One of the most powerful messages I've heard in recent times, man. It just blessed me. And what he said just has been rattling around in my brain and thinking about it and studying it. And, and so... I'm going to take a scripture that he preached on last Sunday night, next Sunday morning. So uh, let's jump into this. How should we react when we suffer? And it, you know how we're creeping along, Matthew, just really slowly, John and Yolanda, it's so good to see you. We were probably talking about Matthew when you were here. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> but we're so glad that you guys are here. And, and so you make your way through Matthew, and I made it all of two verses and came to a stop on suffering. Here it is. Uh, leaving that place, Matthew 15, 21 and 22. I'm going to read it once, and that's the only time we're going to touch it here in the next couple of weeks. But it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite lady, woman from that vicinity, came to him, and she cried out. She said, Lord, son of David. This lady wasn't a, a Jewish lady. She was a, a foreigner, all right, living in the land. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Suffering terribly. Wow. How many of you have suffered terribly at some point in your life? Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It's, I've got to believe all of us have suffered terribly at some point in our lives. So we're not here with the inability to to react or understand what we're talking about. We have all suffered, and some of us in this very moment are suffering terribly, and we want to know, how do I react? Because here's, here's some morbid news. If you're not suffering right now, at some point in the future, you will. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way that it goes. And so we need to be prepared for it, right? Then whenever it happens, at least you can deal with it and know how to react accordingly. So let's look at this lady. She had a daughter who was certifiably demon-possessed. Somehow we knew this for sure. Possessed by a demon, suffering terribly. Now, I can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> to be 
have some yucky spirit living inside of me. I've had oppression. Have you ever been oppressed where you just get, can't get out from under this cloud and the world looks dark and every bit of news seems to be negative? That's pretty miserable too, but I can't imagine the cloud living inside of you. <laughs> that would be awful. And so let me ask you an odd question. Does this sound like a good kind of suffering? what this, this poor girl was going through and, and, further, and her mother. Do you think that sounds like a good, just logically, does that sound like a good kind of suffering? No, it doesn't. Let me ask you another question, and these are leading questions, all right? So bear with me. But does this suffering sound like a kind of suffering that God would bring onto this lady? No, no. Does God want you to be demon-possessed? <laughs> no, of course not. This, you know, that's, that's not something that God is looking for. Um, listen to this scripture, James 1.13. It's important that we nail this scripture into our hearts, into our consciousness, so that we never forget it. It says, when tempted, no one should ever say, God is tempting me. And may, oftentimes throughout the New Testament, whenever the word tempt is used, it also refers to trials. Tempting and trials, tempting and hard times kind of go hand in hand, all right? It says when, when you're tempted or whenever you're going through a trial, it, you shouldn't blame it on God is what this is saying. You shouldn't blame it on God. It is not God's doing. For God cannot be tempted by evil, thank goodness, nor does he tempt anyone. We, that is a baseline reality, truth in the Bible that we should never get away from. I guarantee you most all of us at some point have thought that came from God, and we were wrong. That, whatever that was, didn't come from God. It came from another source. So just, we're, we're starting to lay a foundation here as we're talking about suffering. So if this was a bad kind of suffering, going back to this demon-possessed girl, don't you think that God wanted to help deliver her from that? If, he, if it was a bad suffering, it didn't come from God, don't you think God wanted to alleviate her suffering? And these are logical questions. You may say, Steve, tell me what the Bible says. Don't lead me down the path of logic. But I think it's important for us to logically look at this as well. So yes, I would say absolutely. God wants to free us. From free, free people from that type of suffering, that bad type of suffering that's brought on by the enemy, but its root is sin. Its root is sin. And, and that's my premise, Start on, starting off here, is sin produces suffering. I, I don't think anybody who's been in the Word any length of time would disagree with me. When you sin, there's a suffering that accompanies that sin that brings a world of misery that you look back on that sin, you say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I wish I wouldn't have done that because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be suffering right now. All right? Sin produces suffering. The source of much suffering, not all suffering, but much suffering in this world is produced by sin, and that's it, and it's that. <laughs> so... There's a means of avoiding certain types of suffering by not sinning. If you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to avoid X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to avoid the suffering associated with those sins. 
So let's explore just real quick where sin, where suffering originated from, where it came from. The Bible is very clear. It's through the story of Adam and Eve. You can look at Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. And just, just for, for uh, recollection's sake, remember Eve took the fruit. It wasn't an apple, con- contrary to, to uh, many pictures we've seen. It was just some sort of fruit that God had said, you can eat from all these trees, but that tree... You can't eat the fruit from. The day you do it, you will die. And so what happens, Eve, and not not blaming Eve, because Adam was right there with her. (laughs) All right? Eve walks too close to the tree, gets tempted by Satan himself, eats some, offers some to her husband, and this is what happens as a result in Genesis 3.14. So the Lord God said to the snake, which is representative of of our enemy, Satan. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. And let's just spend a minute on what cursed means. Um, Cursed means doom, literally. Doom to you. Suffering to you. That's what a curse is. And some people that get into witchcraft and what have you, they feel empowered because they feel like they can curse somebody and they can put doom on somebody and cause them to suffer at will so i could cause you to suffer i could you know they they that's appealing to them um i was driving just as an example i was just a couple of weeks ago i was trying to come to church and i was trying to exit the freeway and this guy wouldn't let me in and so i was trying to speed up and kind of wiggle in now i wish i would have just slowed down and but i wasn't trying to be mean i was just trying to get into my lane. He wouldn't let me. So he started coming over to my lane and literally trying to run me out of my lane. He was going to run right into me. So it made me a little bit irritable. I wasn't uh, very loving. So as I finally got off, I looked at him kind of with this mean look and he waved the peace sign at me without one finger. Um, In essence, he was cursing me, right? He would have loved to have seen me suffer a little bit and that's what, that's what cursing means. It's, it's bringing down due to condemnation. That's what a curse is. And so the Lord, God, cursed the livestock and the wild animals, the snake, excuse me, above all the livestock and wild animals. He said, crawl, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. You will be doomed to suffer uh, without feet all the days of your life. That's another thing about curses. They're... They, 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 last, they can last forever. I mean, the suffering is intended to last a, a long period of time. I will put enmity, that means hatred, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, speaking of Jesus, thank the Lord, he will crush your head. He will crush Satan's head. Or the human beings tend to want to kill snakes because they're terrified of them. He will crush your head and the snake will strike your heel. There again, a picture of suffering. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains of childbirth very severe. And that is to this day a reality. Painful labor. And that's suffering, right? Pain. Pain. Mental anguish emotional pain, physical pain. There's, all, there's different types of pain, but pain all the same. Your desire, and here's a very misunderstood scripture, I believe, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Um, there's nothing worse than someone trying to be like someone else. Have you ever done that before? You're, you're yourself, but you look at somebody else and you start trying to act like them. And sadly, many women 
in society today are trying to be like a man. We're trying to be like a man, and men are trying to be like men. We're always trying to be like someone else, and the beauty of being able to accept yourself and how God created you and just be happy with that is a wonderful thing. But here, uh, this, this insinuates that women would always be trying to be like men. Not all women, just some women. And, and you know what? I would tell those women, I'd say, don't do it. <laughs> you guys are already better than us in many ways. The best bosses I've ever had in my life have been female bosses. They make great leaders. So for a woman trying to be, you know, reach, saying there's a, a glass ceiling, which there is, don't do it. You're already better than us. Be happy with where you're at. You're the leader. You're the, the awesome person that God has made you to be. But here, this is what happens. And, and men will rule over you. Unfortunately, the godless man is not a very good husband. <laughs> Oftentimes, a terrible husband and that's why I'd encourage the young ladies here who are unmarried, marry a godly man who has been brought out from this curse to be the godly leader of your home, to love you, and to release you into the calling that, that God has called you to be. And so in verse 17, Adam says, To Adam, God says, because you listened to your wife, goober that he was, knowing that he shouldn't have done it, the weakling that he was, he followed his wife into the same, uh, same deception, ate some of the fruit. He said, I command you uh, from this tree that I commanded you not to, eat, not to eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, some more suffering, you will eat from it all the days of your life. In order to get a buck or two, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food and until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you'll return. All right? Painful curse, painful suffering, not brought on by God, brought on by Adam and Eve's decision to not follow God. He warned them. He told them. It's going to produce death, and sure enough, it produced death and suffering. But listen to the good news here. If you look at Galatians, this is all in our reading this week, and I challenge you to read it, meditate it, absorb it. It says in Galatians 3.10, and then we'll look at verse 13 as well. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What curse? The curse that God originally brought on because of the disobedience that took place. He says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Everything that God has commanded, if you break it and you're trying to get righteousness that way, you are going to experience the suffering of sin. Significant experience. Uh, significant suffering, excuse me. And then in verse 13 it says, but here's the good news. Christ redeemed us from that curse. Christ redeemed us from that curse. To the extent that sometimes godly men, godly women can work and God's grace makes that the provision that they get from their work easy. Makes work easier than it would have been otherwise. That's the kind of God we serve. He redeems us from the result of sin, the suffering of sin. And he did this by becoming a curse for us. This is powerful stuff. We need to let this, this sink in. He's redeemed us from the suffering associated with our sins. 
He's redeemed us from the suffering associated from our sins. That's a curse. It says, for everyone who's hung, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. What was he referring to? The pole being the cross. Jesus hung on the cross and redeemed us from sin and redeemed us from the curse of sin or the suffering associated with sin. I'm going to get, if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you some examples from the Bible and I'm going to give you a personal example as well. Look at this. There was a lady who in Jesus's time snuck up behind Jesus. Now this lady had suffered 12 years with internal bleeding, internal bleeding, which means she was not only anemic, weak, but she was an outcast of society because anybody who had internal bleeding, the Jewish law prevented them from mixing and mingling for fear of disease. And so she snuck up behind Jesus in a crowd, which she could have gotten into tons of trouble for doing. And she reached out and touched his garment. She touched his robe and melted back into the crowd. Now, Jesus turned around because he knew that someone had touched him. He's God Almighty. He would know these things. He said, I just felt virtue flowing out of me. Who just touched me? Well, his disciples said, Jesus, there's people all over. There's a crowd around you. People are touching you. He said, no, there's somebody that touched me. And in Mark 5.34, the lady comes. She falls at his feet. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. That's the effect of sin, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. All right, go and be freed. Now, while there's no sin associated with the suffering in this story, I want to give you this first example that Jesus came to free us from our suffering. There is not a single person found in all the stories of Jesus that came to Jesus asking for healing who didn't receive relief from their suffering. So the example that Jesus gives in, this, in the Bible, we see is an example of freedom from suffering over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus never made the poor poor. He never made the sick sicker. All right. Jesus came, and, and I'm going to give you some key scriptures. It's amazing. He came to set us free from the effects of, of sin and sickness truly. I know we got to be careful with this. But sickness truly is, is rooted in sin. Not, now listen to me carefully. I'm not saying you're sick because you sinned. I did not say that. Okay? But when, when Adam and Eve made the mistakes that they made, sickness entered into the world. And so generally, generally, sickness is the result of a broken, fallen, godless world. And Jesus came to fix that. Jesus came to fix that, all right? So this suffering, this type of suffering that we saw as an example of this lady, uh, did not come from God, all right? So often we think, oh, I'm, I'm suffering because God is punishing me. That's not the case. Nor should we blame God for it, but we should seek his redemption. That means he is, is buying us back. And the deliverance that he offers to everyone by calling on his name. So if you're suffering, what do you do? You call on the name of Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me in the midst of my suffering. That's maybe point number one. What do you do when you're suffering? 
call on the name of the Lord, and the Bible says he will save you. And we're going to get a little bit more into that next week. So listen to this. Does God want you to live in sin? No. Therefore, does God want you to live in the suffering that that is caused by your sin? No. He wants to free you from your sin, and he wants to free you from the suffering associated with your sin. Look at this. In Acts 10.38, Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and now he went about doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus went about doing good, healing everyone who was under the power of the devil. And this verse doesn't say it, but who had faith in him. (laughs) Who had faith in him. So if you have faith in God, God wants to free you from your sin, and he wants to free you from that sin associated with that. So this, this healing that's referred to here, he went healing all who were under the power of the devil, is to restore someone back to their original state of health. How many of you received healing from God at some point in your life? All right. You, can, you, you know what I'm talking about. God took you from being sick to restoring you to the original state of health and maybe even better than you were before. I've experienced it. And it looks like many of you guys have experienced it as well. Look at this scripture, 1 John 3, 8. It says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. All right, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy all the works of the devil. All the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? The result of sin. He wants to destroy all the results of sin, including the suffering that comes with sin. So we find countless examples of Jesus doing this, but I love this one. This one ties sin and suffering together, so it's a a little bit more clear, but it's found in Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8, and I'll read it to you. And so Jesus is stepping out of a boat. He crossed, uh, he stepped into a boat, excuse me, crosses over and comes to his own town, and some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. So you can see Maybe there was two of them, maybe there was three of them. In another story, there was four of them. But they're bringing this man on a mat, and Jesus saw these men's faith. He saw their faith. Have you ever seen faith before? That's an interesting thought if you look at it. I have seen faith in people's eyes. Whenever you're telling them something, and their eyes kind of say, I get what you're saying. I have faith. And I think that's what's meant here by Jesus saw their faith. Clearly, he saw that they had enough faith to bring. I'm sorry, this is making noise here. Bring this man to them. So he saw that faith. But anyways, bottom line is he saw their faith. And what does he say to them? He says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. What? What, what, What's that about? I'm coming for healing. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. All right? So he takes care of the root problem first. And he says, your sins are forgiven. I guarantee that guy laying on the mat, his heart must have jumped out of his chest when he heard those words. My sins are forgiven? Think about the things that torture you of your past, the decisions you've made, or the decisions you didn't make that you should have. And Jesus whispering into your heart and saying, your sins are forgiven. 
Your sins are forgiven. But look at this. Jesus didn't stop there. Now, some of the people there, the teachers of the law, these religious people, I tell you what, there's something else. They said, this fellow is blaspheming. They called Jesus this fellow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine calling the God of the universe this fellow? He says, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home, and the crowds that saw this were filled with awe. Look at this. He took away the sin, and he took away the suffering at the same time. Isn't that amazing? God does that. That's God's approach. So in the midst of your suffering, your suffering may have been brought on by a decision that you made. Remember, God forgives your sin, and he wants to take your, the, the associated penalty for that sin away from you as well. That's why, as parents, can I t- share with you? That's why, as parents, it's not, a, it's not good to be overly harsh with our kids. It's not good to be overly harsh because God isn't overly harsh with us. He loves you. He wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. And that's why I tell parents, grandparents alike, if you're a grandparent, teach your kids this. If you're a parent, practice this. Don't be overly harsh with your children. It'll embitter them. It'll turn them away from God instead of turning them towards God. And so we don't have to pray this feeble prayer that I've prayed myself, and I'm sure you've prayed as well. Think about this. God, if it's your will, heal so-and-so. Please don't pray that prayer. That's a feeble prayer. That's a weak prayer. And that's a disconnected prayer. You know what we should be doing? Is getting into God's word, understanding what God's will is, talking to God and saying, God, show me your will. And then when you know God's will, you'll pray God's will. And you'll pray it with confidence. So don't waste these penniless little prayers of God, if it's your will to heal, deliver, whatever. You know what I believe? I believe it's always God's will to heal. But God goes about it a certain way. And so we need to get into the flow of God's will and understand what God is doing and how he wants to do it and understand God's will. God wants you to understand his will. All right, so spend some time waiting on God, understanding. But it is God's will to deliver us from sin and from from suffering. And I'll give you one last example as we kind of turn the corner on this conversation here. There was a next-door neighbor, and I've spoken to you about him years and years ago, and this guy was really funny. He'd pop up. He's one of these neighbors. He pops over the fence while you're having a party, and you're like, hey. <laughs> you know, he's, he'd imp- kind of impose himself often. He was, he was a funny guy. But this guy had had a history of alcohol abuse and drug abuse, and he had quit. At this point, he had a family. He had um, two lovely daughters, and they were living in a nice little house, and, uh, but, and this guy's name was Danny. Um, uh, not, no Danny here, okay, if your name's Danny. Uh, but this guy, uh, it turned out that he, as a result of his drinking habits, he had uh, developed cirrhosis of the liver. And it went on, and I learned this, a lot of people who have cirrhosis of the liver actually end up with cancer of the liver as well. And so he had a two two-strike thing against him. He had cirrhosis of the liver, and the suffering that he was in was intense. It was intense. Well, my wife and I prayed for Danny, and I, I think even at that time, the church prayed for Danny. And you know what God did? 
First of all, Danny came to know the Lord. One night at about 10 o'clock at night, he was banging on my door. And we, you know how you are on Friday, you just want to relax a little bit. I opened the door, and there's Danny. <laughs> and I say, hey, Danny, come on in. You know what? We talked for 30 minutes. He gave his heart to the Lord. God forgave his sins. But you know what? He was left with cirrhosis of the liver. He's left with, with liver cancer. So we began to pray for, for Danny. God took care of his sin. And you know what God did? Dan, I'll never forget. He, he gave me a call. He said, Steve, I just got back from the doctor. You know what he told me? I said, what, 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 what? He says, I don't have cirrhosis of the liver, and I don't have cancer. That's the God that we serve. He takes care of the sin, and he takes care of the suffering associated with that sin. That's the loving, awesome, wonderful God that we have. So in all of this, as I keep talking about this bad suffering, it, it, it kind of opens the question, is there a good suffering? Is there a good kind of suffering? Well, let's look at this. And, and I'm not too far off from being done here. In 1 Peter 3.17, excuse me, 1 Peter 3.17, it says, For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. What? It's good to suffer for doing good? <laughs> is what this is saying? Is there a good kind of suffering? Well, I believe there is. And, and another question I would have, if sin produces suffering, does righteousness produce suffering? And I would tell you, yes, righteousness can definitely produce suffering in your life. And I would call that a good kind of suffering. A suffering to rejoice about, a suffering to be excited about, and a suffering to embrace. Is there a good kind of suffering? I believe there is. You look at Daniel in the lion's den. He was a righteous guy. He was doing all the right things. And what did it produce? It produced jealousy in his peers, the people that he worked with. And so his peers tried, those who he worked with, tried to find something wrong. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so finally he said, if, if we're going to find anything wrong with him, it's going to be about his religion. Well, Daniel went to the, his window three times a day, opened his window and prayed towards Jerusalem because he was, he was in exile in Babylon. And so he prayed, and so I can see those, those guys standing watching him pray. And so they went to the king, uh, and, and they said, Oh, king, let it be said that over a course of a period of time that no one prays to any god but you. Well, of course, that appealed to the ego of the king. The king signed it into law. Daniel promptly gets up the next day, prays at the window towards his god. And what happens? His righteousness got him thrown into a lion's den. Is that suffering? You better believe it. Is there torturous fear in that? Absolutely. Our righteousness can cause us suffering. You look at um, Christians in Iran, modern-day Iran. They're suffering because of their righteousness. You look at modern-day Christians in China. They're suffering because of their righteousness. Does righteousness produce suffering? It certainly does. I'm, I'm going to actually end with this scripture here uh, because we're running out of, of time, and we'll pick up next week. But in 1 Peter 2.19, it says, eh, I'm going to push the envelope. I want to finish this up just really quick. 1 Peter 2.19, it says, It's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Your consciousness of God, your love of God, is going to get you in trouble. 
And we live in a free country, thank goodness, but someday something's going to change in this country. And it's changing even as, as we breathe and live right now. Be prepared for your righteousness to get you into trouble. It, it just will. How It says in verse 20, uh, 1 Peter 2, it says, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and enduring? That's not going to do you any good. That's the suffering that comes with sin. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it's commendable before the Lord. Praise God. And I'm going to give you a bunch of other scriptures next, next week when we talk a little bit more about this. But righteousness can produce suffering. We know that. In Romans 8, 18, it says, I, can, uh, I consider this present suffering, this is the Apostle Paul, not worth comparing to the great glory, the wonderful glory that's going to be revealed to us. In this life, we will have suffering, but it should be a good kind of suffering. We need to run away from anything that produces bad suffering. Here's some examples of good suffering. Withdrawals from alcohol and, and, and uh, drugs. That's a good kind of suffering. Why? Because you're finally making the right decision. So when you're, when you're suffering through withdrawals, you say, praise God, this is a good kind of suffering. It's brought on by the righteousness of God that's at work inside of me. Look at this. Loneliness after breaking off a toxic relationship. That's a good kind of suffering. You're making the right decision and you're suffering a little bit through it. Praise God. That's a good kind of suffering. Here's another one. Temporary poverty that's brought on when you cut off a bad source of income. Well, let's say somebody's pushing drugs. They decide, I'm not going to push any drugs anymore. And they fall into poverty temporarily until they find another job. That's a good kind of suffering. That's positive. All right? The boredom that you might have after you break off a bad activity or bad habit. Let's say you've been watching all these movies you shouldn't watch. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to watch any more movies that have cursing in them. Uh, I'm not going to watch movies that have illicit sex going on in them. And you know what? That's going to cause me some boredom on Friday nights. But that's all right. That's a good kind of suffering because I'm making the decision to do the right thing in my life. So you're going to have some boredom. You're going to have some suffering. Or maybe it's the sorrow uh, for having made a bad decision. You make a bad decision, it's all right to be sorrow, sorrowful about it. It's good to be sorrowful about it. It's good to repent of that thing and have your heart broken because you made the wrong decision. That's a good kind of suffering or the stress that it takes to rebuild a relationship that's been neglected. I've seen many moms and dads who've been estranged from their children. And now it's time as they get closer to God to mend those relationships. And it's hard and it's heartbreaking. But you know what? That suffering's good because you're making the right decision now. That's a good kind of suffering. Or losing something uh, because you've been outspoken in your faith about Jesus Christ. Someday we might lose our job. Someday I might lose my freedom. Someday I might, who knows what could happen. But you know what? It's going to be good because I'm making righteous decisions. All right. So in Romans 5.3, it says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. So I'm going to get into that a little bit more next week. But does this help a little bit with our suffering? Does this help kind of put it all into perspective and it's going to be fleshed out a little bit more next week? I hope that it does. 
I hope that we can deal, distinguish which suffering we can run away from, but there's some sufferings we don't need to shy away from at all. Hey, if that righteous decision is going to produce suffering, I'll run into the suffering. I'll run into it because it's the right thing to do. Let's pray.